Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ.
And that's not where the story ends. Because I think the Bible possesses a vast range of wisdom in a holistic approach for those who have experienced life's ups and downs. So we're going to do a quick poll. Because I think we need to feel like a sense of oneness about this. Because we talk about mental health, we talk about things we struggle with personally, and it can feel a little isolating. Do you have somebody in your family, I'm not asking the name names, somebody in your family, a moment that you've had, an interaction in a family gathering that has created a sense of anxiety or stress? Excellent. We're in this together. It is a real thing. And I, and I, I just want you to know that you are not alone in that. But all that also doesn't mean that we just wallow and fall apart within it. I think we recognize the truth of it with the hope that we can move forward to something better on the other side of it. Not by our own strength alone, but by hearing and reading and listening and discovering the wisdom that God wants for you. Because this is the truth that I wholeheartedly believe. Just as God wants to restore a broken world, God wants to restore our broken hearts. Just as God wants to, to reconcile the world to himself, he wants to reconcile the relationships that are broken in your life. Not simply to put a check mark on, I did this and that is so good, but because there is a desire for health holistically and wholly in your life that God desires and pursues. And I hope that you hear that as we go through the scene today. So have you ever heard the phrase, um, forgive and forget? And we've all heard this to some degree. And I think it's optimistic, so it's right up, my, right up my alley. I like a good optimistic phrase. I can be accused of being far too optimistic. But forget and forget, maybe it's, it's, it's not a bad thing at some time. Because it would seem to make the world a far more peaceful place. But sometimes it's important to remember for the purpose of healing. Sometimes it's important to remember for the purpose of protection. Sometimes it's important to remember as a platform for, for real justice to take place. However, when it comes to our mental health, as we remember, there are real implications of traumatic and difficult and conflicting experiences. C.S. Lewis, he says this about mental health. He says, mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it is more common and also more hard to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. It's easier to say my tooth is aching than to say my heart is broken. Now, uh, this anguish that we can experience is in a wide array of things, but today we're going to be focusing in on family because in particular there is an increasing body of research that demonstrates that negative family interactions and relationships can cause stress, can have physical symptoms, and have deep impact on mental health. And I don't even think that we need a researcher to tell us that. It's often more anecdotal than that. It's our experiences that we've, that we've seen around us and for us. And we've noticed that we don't feel so good when things don't go well in certain family environments. That they linger a little longer. The role of psychosocial factors, namely family structure and adverse effects, have an extreme one on mental well-being of children 
and adults. It was from a study in 2017. So perhaps the better prompt that we need to consider is not uh, forgive and forget, but rather how do you forgive when you can't forget? Or how do you move forward after a really difficult interaction or a moment of hurt? Because the thing is, we're all carrying burdens from past experiences that impact the way that we, we relate with the world. We have all had experiences that, whether we're, we're willing to admit them or not, have impacted the way that we perceive ourselves and the way we perceive others. And we can look at family. Hey, we can even look at our, our, our kids, uh, sorry, our experiences as kids. I remember, and I've told the story before, that I, I, I can remember to this day, coming down the stairs, was carrying my trumpet in its case. Yes, I played trumpet in, in, in school. It was great. Best first trumpet. Not trying to say anything here. But it was a great trumpet that I was carrying down the stairs. And at the bottom of the stairs was this little girl. And she was a friend of my sister's. And uh, she looks at me. Blank face. She looks at me and says, Why is your sister so pretty and you're so ugly? Child, you're just a little girl. Those words stuck with me, let me tell you that. It's funny. And, and, and I, can, I can joke about it now after many years of counseling. <laughs> but but they, we, have, we have these experiences that stick with us. And they impact us and they shape us. And when we don't actually recognize them or consider them, they can be so debilitating in moving forward in the purpose and the mission that God has for you. So if that is something that is preventing you from discovering God's goodness for your life, you can better believe that God wants to deal with that issue. That God, want, God wants to deal with that hurt. Even in, in families, when we love each other, it's complicated. I was chatting with a couple of you guys right before the service that sometimes when you're with families, it's great, it's wonderful, it's restful, but man, oh man, is it tiring and also at the same time. There is a lot of weight that comes with it. And within families, these are some of our most intimate relationships. Often the manner in which we have been shown to deal with conflict it trickles into other areas of intimate relationship. For example, uh, there is a conflict within your family, and you deal with it in a certain manner, and that is how you understand an intimate or a familiar relationship is to be. And then you come to a church community, and you desire intimacy of relationship. You desire vulnerability. You desire a carefree understanding of one another. And then the matter of conflict that you discovered here becomes the matter of conflict that you apply here. There's a trickle-down effect. Because we, we often do what we're modeled. When it comes to conflict, when it comes to communication, when it comes to dealing with real hurt, it has a trickle-down effect into other areas of our life. And whether intentionally or unintentionally, we don't, we don't always have a natural response of conflict, but we're actually taught 
how to be in conflict by the families and the, the intimate relationships that we can share. So with all that, all that said, let's hear me on this. When a breakdown of communication, a disagreement or offense occurs, uh, the way of God actually invites you to consider a response that fights to build intimacy instead of walls. In a family, every single time we, we can run from it, we can over-intensify it, or we can respond in a manner that can perhaps bring people closer together. And so the Bible is wisdom on this, and we're going to look at, in particular, the book of James this morning. So James chapter 4 is what we're going to be reading out of. Um, we're going to read the first few verses of it to give you a little bit of context in the book of James. Um, some believe that James is actually the earliest epistle written in the New Testament. And, and James is written, is written to those who are spread out outside of Israel and are from the Jewish culture. And he's speaking within the Jewish culture one that has the idea of kind of debate intertwined with it. There's so much uh, of a beauty and understanding that is to the word that the Jewish people have. And so there's a ton of debate that actually takes place within it. And so James, as he's starting to interact with those in the Jewish culture, as he is having a conversation about the person of Jesus in relation to those who were of a Jewish descent, he had this idea that I need to speak Plainly, I need to deal with the actual contradictions or nuances that exist between those two expressions of faith. And so, for some of you in the room, you love James. James is your book. It feels like it's tells it like it is. And for some of you, you think that you, you read through James and you're like, that is a little harsh. I want to read the Gospel of John because it is all about the love of God. And it makes me feel a little bit more fuzzy on the inside. But we're talking about James today, because I think it has some wisdom, wisdom for us to consider. Uh, it's framed with this idea of patience, pers patient perseverance during trials and temptations. But we're going to read out of chapter 4, verse 1, you can follow along on the screen. And it says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? In the Amplified Version, it says, What leads to strife? And how do conflicts originate among you? And it goes on in verse 2. It says, you desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. It's really interesting when you read this passage that James, in my opinion, reveals two sources of conflict that actually arise from within. So this is what I want to recognize right up front. There are real moments in our life that we need to give space and consideration. We need to spend time with medical professionals. We need to have counseling be part of our, our practice. We need to have real reflection take place in dealing with our mental health. But the idea of Having all of those good things a part of our life is not isolated from desiring a holistic relationship with God that provides healing in that space as well. I think they can go hand in hand. And so we have real moments in our life that impact us. And what James is speaking to is that there are two sources of conflict that 
burrowed down within us and creates conflict later. So if we look at this piece of scripture, it says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Before, before Freud even talks about it, uh, about the idea of the level of neurosis that comes from our past experiences, the Bible is dealing with this. The Bible is presenting this general idea that we have real, real relationships, real experiences that have an ongoing effect upon us. And when we look at this piece of scripture and it's talking about, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? What James is actually pointing to is this idea of deep insecurity that rises up within us. So what is an insecurity? It is a desire that is unmet, therefore, that you need to find fulfillment in, in other ways. So if I have an insecurity about the way that I, I look from, from Abigail, she, this moment took place. Abigail said what she said. I, I feel insecure about her. I never wore that shirt again. I burned that shirt. It never saw the light of day again. And so I feel the way I felt about it. And then the next time that someone kind of says a little something, that feeling of, of, of insecurity rises up from this traumatic experience, and I, I respond a certain way to that moment. Are you with me? That we have an experience. It creates this insecurity, this desire then to be seen in a certain way. And then I respond in that manner. And perhaps not in a manner that I actually believe is true or good or right. But it says, you don't they come from your desires that battle within you. I wholeheartedly believe that you want to know that you believe this about yourself. Hey, you're beautiful. You are loved. And you are seen by God with their experiences in life that cause us to question them. And that is this battle that begins to take place within us, this deep insecurity that begins to happen, and we transfer the battle within us to our interactions around us. And this happens on an ongoing basis. And what James is pointing to is unless we can actually recognize our deep insecurity, this battle within us will always be the narrative that forms the interaction around us. And then we will become the perpetrators that we so actually don't desire to be. It's this battle that we see within us. I, I have never discovered conflict like I have discovered it in marriage. Conflict resolution is a difficult thing in marriage because I like to be right. And I often believe that I am right. And far too often, I take the inappropriate approach to conflict resolution, and I choose to referee a version of the past that I believe is most accurate. And, and there is this, this insecurity that I have to constantly overcome and work through about being wrong, to be honest. I really dislike being wrong. And I don't want to be caught in being wrong. So, in, in fact, I will talk myself in circles. Adriana says this often, that I have an answer for everything, even if it is not the right answer. But, but that, that is formational for the relationship that we have. So my question for you this morning is, what are 
are the insecurities that we are carrying? What are the stores? Where, where have they derived from? And what are they forming around us? This is why we're talking about this word like formation. Formation is from what is taking place within us, but it also creates something around us. So if I'm being formed by Christ, I like to believe that the fruits of Christ will be good. If I'm being formed by my experiences, by my trauma, by my hurt, then the fruits of that will look much the same. And then we have this battle within us. You are made in the image of God. You are made in the image that is meant to create life and love and hope and joy with all that is around you. But when we fight against that, that is, that is the battle that is taking place being coming, is coming from an inadequate source. That we have given far too much credence. We, we need to learn how to identify, connect, and actually deal with the manner in which we're acting. Far too often, we are we are quick to deal with the symptom rather than the source. We can identify, oh, I, I, I have some anger issues. I get angry a lot. I get frustrated a lot. Right? I feel like I get upset really easy. Or my, my, my most recent one that I have recognized for myself and those around me, I seem to get offended really easily. It seems like offense comes my way far too often. The second line of that verse, it says, uh, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And then it goes on to say, you desire, but do not have, so you kill. And what does it mean by saying, so you kill? Well, it means that you communicate with slander with those around you. You operate with selfish acts. You, you operate with a sense of silence in relationships, meaning to just push people away. But we have these unmet wants in our life. And we've got all these internal lusts within us to, to be right, to hold power, to be shown respect, to carry importance, to be better than, to have more. And we have all these unmet wants that begin to become sources of conflict in relationships. And so, for example, you might have a relationship with a family member and you desire there to be intimacy and understanding and you experience rejection in that relationship. You didn't get what you wanted out of that relationship, and from that point, you began to actually hold that offense. But every time you experience something similar, or it felt familiar to that previous relationship, offense became a little bit easier, and a little easier again, and a little easier again. Before you know it, you feel like you're offended at everyone over everything, and it feels as if no one can do anything to actually reconcile a relationship with you. And it's not actually about specifically the piece that they did, but it's deriving from a previous relationship, previous experience, a previous unmet want or need that we are then leading ourselves to conflict. James is trying to show us what causes fights and quarrels among you? Deep insecurity and unmet wants. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. And what does it mean, so you kill? You start talking a certain way about people. Isn't that how we deal with offense? 
When I'm offended about someone, I start talking a certain way about them. Like, oh, Robbie really hurt me. I hate his hair. <laughs> his mask can't get over it. Why is he always smiling? Have you noticed the way that he stands? And, and, and it trickled. Bit after bit after bit. And I know this is like, it feels like a silly excuse. We have all done it. Where we feel a certain way about someone, and then we can't help ourselves to fall into that habit of slander. And what is slander if not selfish? And then sometimes we even operate in a space of silence, and what's silence if not selfish sometimes? Because we don't want to actually deal with the issue at hand, and so our selfish manner of acting that out is complete silence in the relationship when when a simple word or apology or conversation create the reconciliation that you desire and that you need. James is saying, fights and quarrels, where do they come from? Deep insecurity and unmet wants. Offense. A warranted offense can make us quick to put up walls of offense in unwarranted situations. Can make us put up walls of offense in unwarranted situations. And it's a defense mechanism. And it ends, ends up boxing us in with our own feelings of resentment, of hurt, of, of trauma. And if patience is a fruit of the Spirit, and it's a fruit of a life lived with wisdom, then, then offense becomes a fruit that becomes a tree that produces bitterness and produces hurt. And we become quick to offense, and, and our mental health takes a toll. And, and, and it becomes one thing after another. So James is saying, these are two sources of conflict. But there is a desire that God has for us for something better. And the Bible is constantly presenting matters of wisdom in which we can operate. These moments of conflict, they're not just single instances of hurt, but they remain with us and they're often really heavy on our mental health. And these are things... I want to reiterate that the sermon cannot adequately deal with in the course of 30 minutes. Like these conversations and moments of reflection that require often somebody of some somebody that you have a high level of trust with, maybe a mental health professional. Like these are important things to deal with. But there is wisdom that is offered us in the, in the Old Testament. There's a story where God approaches Solomon. Solomon was to be king of Israel, and God asks him, "What would you?" What, what, what would your heart desire? And, and Solomon desires wisdom. And then there's, there's a lot of different things that you can read into that, but I want to identify what wisdom is in that specific moment because it is identified that wisdom, the, the request for wisdom, is actually a righteous request. And what is a righteous request? It is a, a right relationship request. And it is to actually pursue right relationship. That is true wisdom with God and with others. And so, Proverbs 19.11 says this. It says, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Well, what is wisdom? James actually answers this question at the end of chapter 3. I think I forgot to give you this verse, I'm sorry. But I'm going to read it for you. James 
chapter 3, at the very end, verses 17 and 18. It says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, then considerate, then submissive, full of mercy, impartial, and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness, of right relationship. So here's a couple of different things that I want to just quickly speak to when it comes to dealing with conflict. Number one, uh, there are some of you in this room that feel very justified in the conflict that you engage with. Because you are right. I want to tell you there are moments in relationships and in conflicts where you are right. And that's a wonderful thing. But this is something that I have learned for myself. I needed to learn, and I'm still learning, how to handle being right in a way that is honoring to the other person in the relationship as well as to the God that is always right. And so in Matthew 18, it talks about the idea of forgiving. 70 times 7. It is meant to always be at a posture that we take as followers of Jesus. Because like I said, the goal of conflict resolution is not to referee whose version of the past events is the most accurate. So when we are dealing with this idea of how to handle what it is to be right, well, we need to offer it with a sense of humility. And perhaps this is the greatest posture that we need to be taking in our moments of conflict with one another. Humility. Meekness. A fruit of the Spirit and a prompt from Jesus. Some of you have this exhaustion in your relationships of being the bigger person. You feel like you always have to do the right thing and you are exhausted by it. It is because we're trying to overcome offense from a position of pride instead of a position of humility. If forgiveness has become exhausting, that means that forgiveness is coming from the wrong source. Forgiveness is, is meant to be from the source of heaven. Jesus understands that to forgive someone is extremely taxing. But then asks us to do it 70 times 7. It's not asked actually saying like 190 times. Like, understand this is this is meant to say that you need to have a posture of always forgiving. And if that's the posture, then I most definitely am incapable of doing that on my own. I need the strength of heaven in order to do that well and to do that often. True humility actually leads to wise conduct. That's what we see in the Proverbs. That's what we see at the end of James. And that's what we see in the life and teachings of Jesus. Do you approach moments of conflict with humility? Or do you approach moments of conflict with desiring to prove yourself Because that is the first thing that you can point to when analyzing the fruits that came out of that moment of conflict. You cannot control everything in the situation. I'm not giving a perfect formula for a life free of difficult conflict. But we can operate in a manner that is Christ-like. To be formed in His image is to operate with true humility in every interaction that we have. Because to operate in true humility 
is to do as Christ does, and it is to grow in compassion. We are so quick to point the finger that we forget the compassion that has been shown to us. Offense is choosing to grow in bitterness. Forgiveness is choosing to grow in compassion. Uh, one of the books that I've had our group read on occasion is Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I would highly recommend it. I think it's great by Pete Scazzaro. Uh, but I also think it's a very apt phrase for a, a, a true relationship with Jesus. That it's not an isolation of the spiritual, and it's not an isolation of the mental or the emotional, but it's, it's one together. That it, I, that it is meant to be a holistic approach to the life that we live. There was an article that I came across a few years ago claiming that scientists at Columbia and Yale University had found a neurobiological seat of spirituality. It's in a study that was published in a cerebral cortex quarterly. Yes, that is an actual journal. Um, but it identified this. It's really interesting. It, it identified experiences of transcendence or spirituality and that they activated distinctive patterns in the parietal cortex of your brain. So what's the parietal cortex? It's a part of your brain that's responsible for processing sensation, spatial orientation, and language. And it actually influences our ability to focus our attention. And the article states that analytical thinking, moments like uh, self-reflection, counseling, or even formation, and being spiritually empathetic, they actually rely on different neural pathways. So when we have, what they found is this, this neurological seat for our spiritual understanding. It takes place in the parietal, parietal cortex, but it actually stops the left side of our parietal cortex from operating. And what is taking place on the left side often is the far more uh, reasonable, rational, uh, analytical thinking side of it. And I'm, what, I'm, what I'm finding fascinating in this that one leads the other. And it's almost like this. It's like breathing in and breathing out. You can't do both at the same time, but you need to do And you need to do both in order to stay healthy. What they call transcendence or spiritual moments. And what they found was triggered in the study was everything from a church service to being surrounded by a forest, all the way down to playing with a child. And all of these experiences triggered that same moment in your parietal cortex. And this is fascinating because I think that I, I would like to believe that in some way we in the church have a monopoly on spiritual transcendence and that because you come to church and I, I preach a, a decent sermon that you have experienced God and then touches that neurological seat and it's great. But I actually love the fact that there are all these incidents of transcendence or of spiritual, of spiritual touch from God. Because you know what that says to me? That God is always in pursuit of you. That he wants you to do the work of finding health in the analytical and the, reflect the reflection moments. 
but he's actively pursuing you in every other moment to breathe in as you breathe out. To breathe in as you breathe out. And if you are feeling exhausted by your mental health, I would just invite you this morning, perhaps one action that we can take together is to understand that we've been trying to breathe in and breathe out all on our own. That we've been running ourselves ragged. And God is inviting you just to just this pause. Say, thank you for doing the work. Thank you for asking the hard question. Thank you for caring about others and wanting to be better. But would you just come and rest in me for a moment? Recognize your sources of conflict and breathe out. Come and rest in me for a moment and breathe in. Can't do both simultaneously, but one leads the other. We need to recognize that offense has become far too easy for us. And we need to ask God for a refreshment of humility. We need to pray. We need to see the insecurities driving our decision making. And we need to commit ourselves into our church family for accountability and comfort and to care. That's to worship. We need to analyze our sources of bitterness. And we need to offer it up to God. We need to confess. Hear the words of Jesus in Matthew 28. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy, heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Worship team, you can join me at the front. Forgiveness is a process, not an event. And a God who is resolute on healing fractured minds is desiring for you to find rest. So when it comes to our family, there are many things that take place that are heavy and difficult. The invitation of James is to recognize how they have become sources for conflict. How they may have become deep insecurities or unmet wants. And to bring that before God. To desire wisdom. To begin to be formed into the image of one who shows us humility in a way that the world never can. You stand with me? We're just going to take a moment and pray. What I'd like you to do, we're just going to take a, a quick moment to do this. I'd like you to just, just to draw to your mind something. Uh, I, I presented a story of, of Abigail, and I know I'm making light of it, but it really was something that always seemed to pop up. It always seemed to come back. I would invite you right now, if you pray, would you draw to your mind what is one of those incidents that you can just recognize feeds an insecurity or an unmet need or want in your life? And we're just going to offer that to Jesus. We're going we're to offer it to the one who desires to heal that which is broken. So Lord Jesus, we come before you right now as a people in need of a Savior. 
to the people who are in a broken world, in broken relationships, and broken people. Let me just pray right now <clears throat> for every thought and every experience that is being drawn to our mind. Please pray right now that your healing would come upon you. For every word that was spoken that remains upon our minds and still stings to this day, we pray that your truth overrides it. For every action or absence that makes us feel alone or separate, we just pray that we would feel your parents' trust. For every lie that was told, that was made to feel us, make us feel dumb or isolated or not good enough, just pray that you would begin to heal our hearts at least. Thank you for the courage of each person in this room to consider those thoughts. And I just pray that this is not just a singular moment of consideration and reflection, but it is a launching point to begin to deal with that which has been our source for far too long and to come before you with this humility and grace that we need to live into the life that you have for each and every one of us. Thank you that you care about our mental health. Thank you that you care about the relationships that we have. And I just pray right now upon every single person that they would discover you afresh this morning, that this year would be one of formation to become more like you. And that we just be drawn closer to you every day. Thank you that you pursue us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.